Um, great quote. I forget who said it, but brave was the was was the man to first try an oyster. Like, if you saw this, you're like, "What is this?" And then somehow you opened it up, and this was inside. And he said, "Oh, I guess I'll try and eat it." <laughs> I mean, way to go. You know what that guy who tried it didn't like oysters? Where would we, where would we be today? Yeah, yeah. Imagine we just said no. That's the nastiest yeah. thing I've ever tried. Yeah, it's like, like no one ever. Would you, tried do you want a squeeze of a lemon? No, it's okay. You're gonna go just do it. Okay, so. Kind of like when you go swimming and you have like you a get mouthful slurp. of water. Oh my gosh, she did it. You chew it a little bit. Okay, that's literally how it tastes. It's like swishing. <laughs> you know, like the water in your mouth. When you swallow it, it's gone. <laughs> you are listening to now podcast about people, places, and things. Produced by the senior learners at Hayward School. Welcome to our first episode of Noun. This episode is about oysters and the people who work with them. You just heard from Mila McKay, oyster hatchery manager in the Shinnecock Reservation in Southampton. You'll hear more from him shortly. And you'll also hear from Trevor Elliott, the chef de cuisine at the Gray Restaurant, Savannah, Georgia. Karen Navarra, owner of the Eros Cultured Oyster Company, Camilo Cotera, a senior at the Harbor School in New York, and Peter Topping, the Peconic Baykeeper. TJ, other than thinking about oysters as a food, did you know this much about oysters before doing the research for the podcast? I didn't know much about oysters, but before we get to everything else that we've learned, let's hear from Trevor Elliott, the chef de cuisine at The Gray, who works a lot with oysters. If you've ever watched The Chef's Table on Netflix, you may have watched episode one of season six about Mashama Bailey in a restaurant. For those of you who haven't seen it, the episode opens with Mashama on a boat with father and son oyster farmers, Ernest McIntosh Jr. and Sr. And it's a really beautiful opening to the episode. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and watch it. Here's Eve's interview with Trevor. My name's Trevor Elliott. I'm from uh, New York City. And I'm chef de cuisine at The Gray in uh, Savannah, Georgia. I had met the executive chef, Michonne Bailey, through mutual uh, people that we worked with. We did a chef swap where she came to the restaurant I was at called Houseman and cooked food from here. And I came down to The Gray and cooked some food that we were doing in New York. And we just got along really well. And uh, I was kind of her point person when she did the, uh, the dinner up in New York and, you know, helping her prep the dinner and everything. And then uh, I just really fell in love with the restaurant and really liked working with her. So when she invited me to move down here, I jumped at it. Well, we're on the Georgia coast and the food that we serve here is new American. It's Southern. It's what we call port city Southern. Um, so if you look at different port towns like uh, New Orleans or Savannah, Charleston, Mobile, Alabama. There's a lot of great port towns in the South. And um, the food tends to be very interesting because these were the first places that they established cities. So there's a lot of history. Um, There's a lot of ingredients through the fact that there's ports going back and forth. But the food here really has a focus on um, African-American cooking. A lot of that historical influence comes from the fact that the uh, Mid-Atlantic Passage where people were bartering and trading all sorts of things from gold and food to people when this was a slave colony really has a lot of powerful history. And it's really important to us that uh, those things aren't being forgotten about. And where do you, where do you get your local oysters from? We get them from uh, Ernest McIntosh. He 
I believe is a fifth generation oyster farmer. And uh, he runs a company now with his son, whose name is also Ernest. And um, they're on the Harris Neck River down in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, they drive them up to us. They, they'll uh, harvest them that morning and they'll drive them right to us. And that's the most local. And then as far as the region goes, uh, we work with Barrier Island in Charleston, which is pretty close. We've been working with some oyster farmers in Spring Creek, Florida, that are doing really nice oysters or closer to the Gulf. Really, there's just been some great relationships that we've formed with people. And there's also a nonprofit organization called Oyster South that we're members of. They kind of connect oyster farmers with chefs and food writers and people that are generally interested in the field. Eve asked Trevor about his and Mishama's favorite way of preparing and eating the oyster. I'd say my favorite way is raw, um, just fresh shucked. But I'm really into fried oysters and also uh, roasted oysters. And do you know what Mashama Bailey's favorite way to eat an oyster is? I would say probably roasted. One of her signature dishes is pickled oysters, which are surprisingly delicious. I've never heard of pickled oysters, and I would really like to try one someday. What do you think, CJ? I don't know. I'll get back to you. You know who may have tried pickled oysters? Karen Navarra, oyster farmer and owner of Eros Cultured Oyster Company in Southfield, New York. I spoke with her about her work with oysters. Before we begin, there are a couple spots in the interview that are a little glitchy, but stick with it, they're minor. Um, my name is Karen Rivara, and I own Eros Oyster Company, Eros Cultured Oyster Company in Southhold. So um, mainly what we do is we grow um, the seed oysters. So we take adult oysters and spawn them just like people would do in like a salmon hatchery. Um, but we're doing it, um, they, they fertilize externally. So we um, collect the gametes, we fertilize the eggs. Um, we grow them as larvae for the first couple of weeks because oysters and all bivalves like clams and bay scallops actually are what we call free swimming larvae. So after they're born, they're swimming in the water um, until they're ready to go through metamorphosis. So their metamorphosis is that they'll drop to the bottom and others will look for a place to set and they'll glue themselves to a rock or a piece of shell or something that they like. And then once they're there, that's where they stay for the rest of their lives and they continue to grow. So we're growing the, the baby oysters and selling them to other growers. And we sell them from anywhere from like the size of a pinhead to about an inch. So that's our main job. We also grow um, with Melanie Douglas, Peconic Pearls, which I think you guys are going to eat maybe later. Yeah. So those are our oysters that I grow with, with uh, Melanie Douglas and she teaches at the Greenport School. She's right. We did buy oysters from Peconic Pearl Oyster Company in Greenport for our end of the year dinner and they were delicious. We also asked Karen to talk about what goes into the process of oyster farming and what she appreciates about oysters. Um, a lot of labor. So it's mostly um, uh, taking care of the animals and making sure that they're protected from predators. So in the hatchery, we have them in tanks because um, oyster larvae are really delicious fish food. We, we protect them by just keeping them in tanks. 
And then when we put them um, out in the natural water, we have them in containers that are called upwellers, which are round cylinders with a mesh bottom. And the water flows up through the cylinder and out. And so that's how the oysters get the food and oxygen that they need. Um, so that also protects them. And then when they're big enough to go into mesh bags, um, then they go into those bags and that protects them from crabs because um, crabs will have a big party on oysters if you don't protect them. So uh, crabs and also oyster drills, which are a small snail um, and it has a mouth that looks like a drill bit. So like you know, when you drill a hole in something, it, it looks it's kind of like that and it'll drill a hole in the oyster and then it eats the muscle that holds the shell together. So then the oyster can't keep its shell together. It opens up and then the crabs will eat the rest of what's left. So, um, so we have to protect them from oyster drills. So one is that we have them in these mesh bags. And then the other is that we have to bring them in during the summer about every three weeks and cull them. And culling is a process of size separating. So we size separate them and make sure that they go back in clean bags and um, have plenty of room to grow and plenty of water flow going through the, the, the bags. So the whole process to grow an oyster takes about 18 months from the time it's born to the time you get to eat it. And what do you appreciate most about the oysters? Well, I think that the most um, wonderful thing about oysters, there's a lot of things, so it's really hard, but I would say the benefit to the estuary because they filter the water. So they're taking out any excess um, algae that might be in the water before it becomes um, a bloom um, that will, you know, what happens when there's too much algae is that it, the algae dies and then it um, decays on the bottom and that takes oxygen out of the water and makes the water not beneficial for other marine life. So oysters prevent that by eating the algae before it can be a problem. So they do that. They provide habitat for other animals. Um, other animals can live either around their cages or if the oysters are on the bottom, they live around the, the oysters that way. Um, they reduce excess nitrogen in the estuary. So that also prevents, um, you know, having too many harmful algae blooms. So they just are really, and they're very um, resilient. Like they can take really low temperatures. They can take really high temperatures. They can stay out of the water for, for days and days and days, like weeks, really. Like it would be like us not having oxygen for weeks and still being able to live. So they're very um, strong animals. So they're, they're um, underappreciated, I think. So I think they're very beautiful. As a marine biology student, Karen began working at the Shinnecock Tribe Oyster Project in 1983 as a research technician for Dr. Maloof from Stony Brook University. And we spent the day on the Shinnecock Reservation in Southampton with Mila McKay, the oyster hatchery manager who shared his knowledge and passion for oysters with our class. My name is Mila McKay. I started farming oysters in 2019, so I'm going on four years now. Um, and prior to that, it was a fascination of mine, um, just because it's been in my family for a couple of generations. And 
I've always wanted to do it. Now that I'm doing it, it's funny. I have people um, who I've known for years who I haven't seen for a while, and they ask me what I'm doing, and I say, I'm growing oysters. And they say, wow, you always used to talk about that. Oysters, clams, mussels have been an integral part of coastal tribes since basically forever. Um, from the East Coast all the way to the Northwest, uh, through the Gulf, and obviously Chesapeake Bay area, everything, everywhere through, all through New York, New York Harbor, and even up the river, there's... Um, uh, records of trading oysters up the river with other tribes, with Mohawk from the Lenape. Um, shell middens have been found that date back thousands of years. Um, interestingly enough, clam shells and oyster shells were separate. Um, it seems that clams were a day-to-day -day food and oysters were reserved more for special occasions. That's the theory. Um, and every let's quote unquote discovery of oyster natural oyster beds um was basically due to the fact that native tribes people were already picking and eating the local oysters big problem with that is that once those oyster beds are discovered by uh let's call it industrialists whatever word you want to use um there's many those oyster beds become uh, decimated to the point where they can no longer naturally reproduce. Um, Chesapeake Bay is a perfect example. Also, New York Harbor, Shoal Harbor on the West Coast, all were natural oyster beds. Um, literally billions of oysters were there. And when people discovered them, it was literally, there was an oyster rush, essentially like a gold rush. So farmers came, land was leased, um, and all the oysters were harvested by the tens of thousands on a, on a daily basis, uh, and they were sent away. So the oyster population decreased to the point where there was not enough oysters to spawn and replenish the, uh, the population. Oysters are water cleansers, so each oyster out there will filter 50 gallons of water a day. So when it comes to restoring natural waterways, there's literally nothing better. Uh, it also creates an environment for other sea life. You've got different seaweeds will grow. Fish will live in that reef. They'll reproduce in that reef. Um, other crustaceans, uh, it also makes nutrients more readily available to other sea life as well. So the benefit to having oysters is massive um, and oyster reefs. Um, and once the water's clean, the knock-on effect is that it can trap carbon. Uh, it will also, it produces oxygen. We get most of our oxygen from the ocean. Um, which is a fact that people are beginning to understand and how important that is. So the cleaner the ocean, the cleaner the air, the cleaner the water, and everything is good about it. Growing up in Australia, we have oysters all over the East Coast, basically from the, the Sydney rock oysters are extremely famous and they are really delicious. Um, but I've been living 
on or by the ocean for my whole life. I, I'm happy to work at the crack of dawn. Um, it's literally being in touch with my natural surroundings, which is where I feel most comfortable. And the fact that the work I do is beneficial on so many levels and it's extremely satisfying. I've never had a better job as long as I've been in the workforce. I actually quit my high paying job and turned down other offers to do this. I love, I love food and I have a restaurant background. And so being able to produce something um, to the highest quality is also something that really fascinates me. And growing oysters actually facilitates that because there is the opportunity to grow something that people look at as being the best, the perfect. So that's something as well. In being an oyster farmer, an oyster grower, and you start to realize that we are 100% part of everything around us. We're not separate from any other. Mila touches on the history of oysters in the New York Harbor, and there's an organization that is trying to restore the oyster population in the New York Harbor called the Billion Oyster Project. The Billion Oyster Project is an organization that is working to put one billion oysters into the Hudson River, and so far they've partnered with the New York Harbor School, a public high school in Governor's Island. The students at the Harbor School learn to build and operate boats, spawn and harvest millions of oysters, design submersible remotely operated vehicles, conduct real-life research, and dive underwater. Students learn from experts in science, in science and industry and participate in the school's ongoing oyster restoration research program through the Billion Oyster Project. Curious about what it's like to go to a high school like this, and we had the opportunity to speak to Camilo Cotera, who's a senior at the Harbor School. Before we hear from Camilo, we want to let you know that he uses the term CTE, which means Career Technical Education. My name is Camilo Katara. I go to Harvard School. I'm a senior in professional diving. I first found Harvard School through the catalog that they give you in middle school. And I thought it was really interesting. I thought the idea of going to a school on an island was really interesting. So I decided to go tour it. And I really enjoyed the teachers. I enjoyed the location. I really enjoyed the community there. So I decided that's where I wanted to go. Some schools have got like music major and drama. We've got stuff like diving, vessel ops. Uh, and welding and engineering. I know scuba and C and other CTEs like aquaculture, which grow all the oysters, and then Besselops and MST, they all work together. It's usually MST makes the cages out of steel. Uh, aquaculture grows all the oysters uh, and then puts the spat on shells and puts them into the cages. And then Besselops drives out the divers along with these cages to the site to lay them down. First time I'd gone diving was through Harbor School. We've got CTE, uh, CTE field classes where we go and test out each CTE. And I found the diving one personally the most interesting. I want to be an engineer, but I've always found diving really interesting. So that's why I chose it. I think in the future, I want to do either recreationally or do underwater photography because photography is one of my passions. It's a really small school. It's a really close-knit uh, community. You know everybody in your grade and you know almost everybody in other grades. Uh, it's really nice. And all the sciences and the big conservation project is definitely a nice like end goal or just 
goal to achieve with all the other people working together. Camilo commutes to school from Astoria, Queens to Governor's Island, and he says that one of the biggest challenges of going to the Harbor School is being late. He shared that in most schools, if you're five or ten minutes late, it's no big deal, but if he's late, he misses the ferry and can count on being more than half an hour to an hour late. And you know how hard it is to wake up and get out of bed each day. We feel you, Camilo. Our last interview is with Peter Topping, who has the incredibly important job of monitoring water quality. In his position as, as executive director of the Peconic Baykeeper, an organization dedicated to restoring Long Island's drinkable, swimmable, and fishable water. My name is uh, Peter Topping, and I am the executive director and baykeeper at Peconic Baykeeper. And what Peconic Baykeeper is, is we are an environmental organization. We're a nonprofit um, and we work to protect and restore water quality uh, in both the Peconic Estuary, which is a uh, body of water between the North and South Forks of Eastern Long Island. And we also work in the South Shore Estuary, which are the bays from Shinnecock Bay through the Great South Bay. One of the biggest, uh, the biggest hurdles we have um, I think regionally and also as an environmental organization with water quality um, is that water quality, it's one, it's an issue that affects all of us. We're all tied into water quality, whether it's, um, you know, whether your family uh, is, works for builders, um, the economy is very much driven by, you know, by our access to clean water. Um, but also, um, you know, for all of us on Long Island, we also rely on groundwater to drink. All our water on Long Island comes from the ground, unless you're importing bottled water. Um, and also, we humans um, locally are the biggest uh, driver of water quality impacts. So um, just for instance, we, we are a waterkeeper organization, and there are a number of waterkeeper organizations all around the country. And when I meet with some of these other waterkeeper groups, um, some of them are fighting like hog farms down in the Carolinas and they're worried about pollution from animals. Other ones are fighting, uh, might be a large power plant or these giant sewage plants. Um, but on Eastern Long Island, our biggest problem is uh, two, two, two big contributors to water quality. One is our wastewater. Um, the majority of homes in Suffolk County are, are wastewater. So when we flush a toilet, it goes into a septic tank and a cesspool in our yard, and that goes down into the ground. Um, so all the nutrients and any other contaminants in that water end up in the ground. And that water um, not only is the water that we drink, but it's the water that eventually kind of works its way to our bays and ponds. Um, and the other, uh, other big impact or, an, or another big impact to water quality um, is uh, fertilizers and road runoff. Um, so lots of people, uh, especially on the east end of Long Island, have large estates um, and, uh, you know, very well manicured lawns, very green lawns. And that fertilizer works really well on the land, works really well for 
um, for our yards, but if it's not used up and it makes its way into the water, uh, it can cause problems like, um, like algal blooms. No matter who you are, what you do, you play a part in, um, in the uh, protection of water quality out here. Um, so number, number one, if, um, if you're a homeowner, uh, I would encourage you um, to look into replacing and upgrading your septic system because that's, that's an impact we all have. Um, no matter what we do, we all, we all generate waste, we all have toilets, we all have sinks. Um, if we don't treat that waste, it, that water ends up in the ground and eventually makes its way to our bays and ponds. Um, landscaping uh, is, a, is a huge issue. So um, encouraging natural habitat uh, in our landscape. So that means having uh, native plants that don't require much fertilizer or pesticides, um, minimizing uh, fertilization and irrigation of our lawns. Um, even if you have a piece of property where maybe it was farm field at one point, um, doesn't mean you can't start planting trees again. So um, that, that helps provide habitat for wildlife, but it also um, helps reduce our dependence on uh, fertilizers and, and water. Um, another, another big thing uh, related to oysters um, is uh, being educated uh, or educating yourself about, um, about your food and where your food's coming from. Um, so the majority of, uh, of us eat food that it might be, uh, might be blueberries coming from Chile or um, citrus coming from California. Um, and we, we actually grow lots of really good food uh, in New York. We grow lots of good food locally. Um, and one of the more sustainable industries, if, um, if you're into seafood, has been our local oyster aquaculture industry. So um, we, have, we have oyster farmers working in the South Shore Estuary, uh, mostly Great South Bay area, Murches Bay. Uh, we also have oyster farmers working in the Peconic Estuary. And you can actually buy these oysters, uh, in some cases, directly from the oyster farmers. Um, and why this is a good industry is, um, one, these farmers are producing food, all right, um, and uh, it's, it's nutritious food, it's seafood. Um, the oysters, when they're in the water, the so the oysters are coming initially from hatcheries, so the oysters are being produced in like a laboratory setting, so we're not taking something from the wild, um, but we're using a, a wild and native species. And then once these oysters are in the water, they're actually filtering the water. So they're taking, um, they're taking that algae out of the water, they're removing nutrients from the water. Uh, and then when we harvest them, we're actually, um, in effect, we're actually helping to remove some of those nutrients from the water when we harvest the oysters. So, um, you know, it's something, the food's not traveling very far, it doesn't require much much input, and uh, most importantly, um, you know, you're growing something that you know provides environmental benefits rather than um, a carton of blueberries that's <laughs> flying halfway around the world so we can eat it for a couple minutes.
Whether you look at an oyster as food, or something at farm, or something to restore the body of water, or something that protects the coastline, let's remember that when an oyster eats, it filters and purifies its own habitat. And that habitat is the water responsible for producing between 50 to 80% of Earth's oxygen. 80 to 50% of Earth's oxygen. Just keep that front and center in your mind. Every time you look out to the vast blue water that keeps us all alive. And remember that humble oyster. many people to thank for this episode. Thank you, Trevor Elliott of Gray. Thank you, Karen Rivera of Eros Cultured Oyster Company. Thank you, Milam Kay of the Shinnecock Reservation Oyster Hatchery. Thank you, Camilla Cortera of the Harbor School. Thank you, Peter Topping of the Peconic Baykeeper. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod and Blue Dot Sessions. To learn more about Hayground School, visit our website, www.hayground.org. And stay on to hear our school community share their oyster stories. Hi, this is Jenny Desmond. I am Jules and Arlo's mom. And I love to harvest oysters. I found a secret spot near our house, just a few minutes away from us actually. And I go there between the months of December and May, that's when my permit allows, and I take either a paddleboard or a canoe, and I go to my secret spot with a big tub, and I fill it up. I go at low tide, and it's especially cool to go when there's a super moon low tide, because then the waters have receded tremendously, and it's just surreal. It's like being on the moon, and it's cold, because I go in the months of December through May, so it's it's winter, and you're fully dressed, and you're wearing galoshes, and you're wearing a heavy sweater or a down coat, and you're on the water, and you can get these fresh, delicious oysters, and we bring them home, and we eat them. And one of the things that our family does as a tradition every year on Christmas is we harvest the Christmas oysters. So whenever low tide is that day, that is when we will go. Sometimes it's at eight in the morning, sometimes it's at 6 p.m. It solely depends on the tides. I love living around here because there's such incredible shellfish and seafood. I love harvesting my own oysters. It makes me feel really connected to this place. It depends on my mood, but I really like oysters with a little bit of mignonette sauce. Uh, sometimes oysters Rockefeller really hits the spot, but the best way to eat oysters is when you shuck them yourself. My favorite way to eat oysters is to eat them fully cooked. I like them uh, like an oyster Rockefeller style uh, with garlic and shallots and sauteed spinach and maybe a little white wine and butter, a little butter. And then um, I love, love that put on top of the oysters and baked. I like putting cheese and mayonnaise on oysters. Sounds weird, but it's good. And you add a little hot sauce and put it on the grill and then it gets nice and caramelized and voila, a delicious oyster. I like to put lime juice in my oysters. 
I love to eat my oysters on the half shell on ice with some horseradish. This is Perry Burns. So one of my best friends is from Lafayette, Louisiana, right near New Orleans. And that area has to be the oyster capital of the country because they have a thousand different recipes for oysters and all are amazing and with the best sounding names. They have the classic oysters Rockefeller, oysters po'boys, oyster muffalata, oyster hush puppies, oyster jambalaya, and one you probably haven't heard of, not your mama's oysters. But my favorite is just raw, straight up oysters, maybe with a little lemon and cocktail sauce with a bit of horseradish in it. But I love them raw, straight up. I, I love to eat oysters. Um, I like them cooked rather than raw. Um, but any way you cook them, I'll eat them. And they're always good. Hi, this is Arjun. Uh, I love my oysters, uh, you know, raw on the half shell with a nice mignonette with a little spice or uh, broiled or roasted with a nice herb butter. This is how I like ha ha to, eat, to eat oysters. So my mom's friend, she opens them up because they're all cleaned. And then when they're open, I just... I put the shell halfway in my mouth, and then the the whole thing from the inside falls in my mouth. I like to eat my oysters raw, uh, and I shook them myself. So you said you have a restaurant background. What's your favorite way an oyster is prepared? Just on a half shell is probably the greatest thing, and you can top that with almost you can top it with, I'm not gonna say almost anything. There's a huge variety of, of um, garnishes for an oyster and everything, every tried and true garnish complements and enhances the flavor of, if not the oyster, but everything that you've served it with. I also love a grilled oyster. Grilled oyster, garlic butter, parsley, Amazing oysters, Rockefeller, absolutely incredible, um, and the pole boy, a fried oyster sandwich with my secret special sauce. Nothing better. <laughs>